seeing after we've just taken communion. Every week we do that. We stop and we take some time out of even our worship service to specifically focus on what being a Christian, what the crucifixion of Jesus means to us personally, and how we do that really means a lot to God. So the, the song that we're singing, that your loving kindness is better than life, it's a time for us to acknowledge, to recognize God is intimately involved in our life. And He wants us to feel that. He wants what we do, not just here during the, the couple of hours that we're gathered together, but He wants what we do in our lives to be a reflection of our adoration for Him. I remember when I was about 13 years old, 12 or 13, my dad was the biggest figure in my life. And my, my parents were both pretty aggressive people. Uh, they were both Class A personalities. And you knew when my dad was coming into a building, it was, he was relatively loud. Uh, he was gregarious. Uh, He was not shy about anything. And I can remember being in high school. My dad was the superintendent of schools and the state superintendent of schools. I can remember literally when my dad would be coming down the hall, people would move to the side of the halls. So it was almost like the waters were parting as the intimidator was coming down the hall. And everybody else was a little intimidated unless they really knew him because he wasn't one of those really warm, cuddly people that you'd make a teddy bear of in some mall. He was more the guy that you thought, uh-oh, when he came in the room, you want to check to make sure you were doing whatever it was you were supposed to be doing. But to me, he was dad. And when I was turning at 13, I remember specifically I'd been working at a job for the last four years. And I had saved up a substantial amount of money, at least to me it was substantial, but it was either for his birthday or for Father's Day, I wanted to get something that would communicate to him how much I respected him, how much he meant to me. And there was a little ritual that we had together that uh, we did every week, every week on Sundays. My parents weren't spiritual people, so... I didn't grow up. Unlike Daryl, I wasn't voted the most nerdy. I was voted the most likely to be incarcerated. I wasn't raised in a spiritual environment. But one thing that Dad and I did do every Sunday, we would watch football together. And while we were watching football, he would always polish his shoes. He was very meticulous about wearing suits all the time. He wore a suit every day of his life, I think. But on every Sunday, while we were watching football, he would polish his shoes. And so I started thinking about what I could get that would communicate not only how much I appreciate, but would also connect the two of us together. And this is what I bought him. It was a shoe shine kit. Now, it doesn't seem like a lot, but I bought this for him when I was 12 or 13 years old. And at that time, I think he probably opened it up, and I don't know what he thought. But I know this, 24 years ago, when he was on his deathbed, this month, Libby and I had gone out to visit him in Phoenix, and he was dying. And 16 years after I'd given this to him, 
One of the things he did was I was 29 years old, had never been held by him in my life. And he wanted to do two things. Number one, he asked me to get this shoe shine kit. And he was pretty frail at that point. He was sitting in a rocking chair. And he asked me to polish shoes with him. And so I sat there with my dad, knowing he was going to die, and we shined our shoes. And at the end of that time, he pulled me into his lap. And I didn't even know how to respond to that. I was 29 years old. I had never experienced anything like that in my life. And when he was holding me, he wanted me to know that he was proud of me. That he believed that the decisions I'd made, the choices I'd made to become a Christian, although he never chose that for himself, they were right. A month and a half later, he was dead. When we were going through his things, the only thing I wanted from his estate was this box. Because it was a reminder to me of the relationship between my father and me. Every week when I shine my shoes, I remember my dad. And I think about the impact he's had on my life. Every week when we come together here, the reason we come together is to remember our father. I want you to think about the lyrics to the song, God is so good. Literally it says, God is so good, he cares for me. He answers prayers. God is so good, isn't he? Don't you believe that? Don't you believe God cares for you? Don't you believe that he hears you when you cry out to him? Don't you believe in the silence of the night when you're feeling alone, his presence can comfort you? Consider all the blessings that you have because you became a Christian. And one of the things that Dad said to me was that he knew he didn't have to worry about me because he could see the people that God had put in my life. And he was referring to the people in the church, the Christians. And, and the truth is, when I first became a Christian, they were not really happy about the Christians. But as they began to see the influence, the impact these people were having on my life, one of the things that gave him security in his dying was to know, I had those kind of people in my life. I have those people because God is so good to me. He cares about me. He hears me, and he answers my prayers. God has an amazing giving heart. In my entire life, there is no one who has reached out to me and, and given so much to me the way that God has. He, he constantly is communicating in whatever way he can just how much I mean to him. And like any father, God desires that you and me, that we as his children, would imitate him. What does he want? Why does he gather us together? Why does he want us to remember him? Because he wants us to become like him. 
to feel, to see, and to think the way that he feels and sees and thinks. God wants you to be little gods. He wants me to be a little God. He wants us to be living reflections of him. Look in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 1. In talking to the church in Ephesus, and Ephesus was a very prominent church, Paul says this. He said, be imitators of God. Literally live as if you were God. Not be arrogant like gods of the mess, but to be imitators of God, to become little God, to think like God. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children. And live a life of love. Why? Because God is love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Jesus' gift to us was given to communicate to us. And it's interesting because years ago, gifts were meant to be a form of communication. That a person would give a gift as an expression of their adoration. What's happened today is gifts have become an obligation. They've gone from communication to obligation. And so what we, what we see happening now is even in the stores, we want to make the gift giving easy. You can go through the checkout. You don't even have to go into the body of the store. You can literally just go to the gift room and get a gift certificate or a little prepaid gift card. And you don't even have to write out a card. You can buy one. Just sign your name, put down your $25, hand it, and then you're communicating your adoration. But there was a time when the quality of the gift, the quantity of the gift, was meant to show how much an individual meant to us. And so what did God do? God gave His Son. What a communication! The most precious thing He has. The Bible tells us that God is a jealous God. That's not an ugly and a mean thing. What that means is that God, God longs for that connection, that relationship with us so much that the idea that we might give attention or affection to someone more than Him causes a reaction. Why? Because God loves you. And He loves me so much. And He wants us to be like Him. And what was He like? He gave everything to you and to me. And so what we're doing here is really meant as a communication, not as an obligation. What we do every day is meant to be a communication, not an obligation. But Satan messes with our heads, and he tries to turn that around. And, you know, there's a lot of ways that we can give. You can give spiritually by coming in here and allowing your heart to let go of all the busyness in the world and just connecting. You can give emotionally. But just a look. Just communicate. It's great to see you. You can give mentally by taking time to think. By taking time to study, to read out, to, to try to understand more. You can give physically. In an embrace, or in helping, or in serving, or in simply 
making space for someone to sit down. I want you to think of some of the ways that you can give. And I want to say up front, I appreciate so much. We've got so many people that serve in so many ways in this church. This is one of the most giving groups of people I've ever had the privilege to be a part. We have people serving in small group leaders' capacity. The music ministry spends hours trying to help our atmosphere of worship. People in our children's classes, uh, people on the board, people doing administrative things. I'm just... I'm grateful to be a part of this church. I'm proud of the church. I'm proud of bringing friends here. I like it when I see someone come from even one of the other sectors. I feel good about what they're going to experience here. I like the fact that I'm a part of a church that is not so self-focused that we're just worried about building our own faith, but we're giving sacrificially, not just physically, but even financially. I'm grateful to be a part of a, a church that sees the value in, in developing a teen ministry and a preteen ministry and a campus ministry and in the edge ministry. For so many years, those people have felt so devalued as if they were just kind of vestigial appendages. If you don't know what that means, it means organs that really don't have much function. It's like the nictating membrane on your eyelid, in case you were wondering. And yet now... For them to start feeling, no, you're valuable. You matter to us. I want to focus today on the whole concept of giving to God. Giving back to God. And I want to talk specifically about financial giving back to God. Because it's something God talks about. And quite frankly, we've done such a great job in so many ways for a significant period of time. But we're, we're needing to re-examine this because we're not fulfilling our responsibilities, not just to a budget. I don't care about the budget as much as I care about the communication that we're having with God. I believe that when I look at this, there's an emotional connection. Because the gift reminds me of who it was given to. That's how I want what we do here to be with God. I want God to look at us and, and feel like my dad felt like he just wanted to pull me into his lap with his last breath and affirmed me, well done good and faithful servant. Why? Because he loved me so much. If you're visiting with us, I am so grateful for you coming out. I want you to know we are people that are devoted not to a doctrine, but to a divine being. We love God because he loved us first. Whenever you're trying to understand things, there are six questions that you typically look at. Who, what, when, where, and why, and how. And we're going to do that with this whole concept of giving. Look in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 7. And I want the Spirit to really move with us in here. 
Paul tells the church at Corinth that just as you're excelling everything in faith and speech and knowledge, in complete earnestness and in your love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. Learn to give good gifts. Learn to communicate. Learn to not be obligated, but learn to take what you're doing and have it be something that leaves an impression and an expression that causes God to want to just pull us into his lap and hold us. Grace, the word means God's special favor. Do you feel God's special favor in your life? You say, well, it's been a tough week. That's not really the question, because life is tough. And then you die. But that doesn't mean that you aren't experiencing God's special favor, a special expression of his presence in your life. The the word grace comes from charis. It means an undeserved favor and blessing from God. Are we really that prideful that we think we deserve all of this? When my dad was talking about the people that I had in my life, I didn't say, yeah, finally got what I deserved. There, there was an, even then a recognition, this is unbelievable, that the quality of relationships God has placed in my life, is so powerful and so impacting that even an unbeliever who's about to die takes security in that. Undeserved, unmitigated grace. Well, what do the Scriptures talk about giving? I want to just kind of go through and kind of, so, so that you don't feel like we just focus on one area. And the books of Moses in Genesis chapter 4 is the first real significant discussion about giving. And it's interesting that it wasn't God calling someone to give. It was simply, literally, Cain and Abel choosing to give for whatever reason. And we really don't know the reasons behind it because there is no indication that there had been an institution at this point of sacrifice. But for whatever reason, there was a desire to express something. But in verse 2, it says later, He's talking about um, later she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks, Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord, which is a good thing. He wanted to get a gift. Whenever you recognize or get alert to someone's birthday, it's good that you want to give a gift. But remember, gifts are not meant to be obligations. They're meant to be communications. And I believe that in my own life, I've kind of lost some of that specialness. And it's been more compelling or easier to just do the convenient giving. But it goes on, it says, But Abel brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on his Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering he did not look with favor. God, it's like literally someone handcrafted you something, gave the very best they had to offer, which is, by the way, what God did for you. He gave you Jesus. And when you give someone an awesome gift, don't you want them to at least recognize that it's awesome? And so in his giving, Abel's gift communicated to God what? That the gift meant something to him. Cain's 
communicated an obligation. It wasn't so much the gift as it was what the gift said that made God respond. God didn't look with favor, so Cain became angry. So many times when the quality of our gift, or the quality of my gift gets questioned, my response is, boy, I need to really examine my gift. Instead, too often my response is like Cain. Why are we talking about this? And we get negative and we get critical. And you know where that came? To killing Abel, who was totally innocent. That's what Satan wants us to do. He wants us to understand that the whole institutions of offering is an act of communication. And God set the stage and the standard. Deuteronomy 8, verse 10 and following to the Israelites. When they are getting ready to have the law given to them, God literally says just to remember. Remember everything you have. It's for me. Remember what it was like to come out of Egypt. Remember, I have been with you. I've been in your presence. The book of history in 1 Chronicles 29, as David is preparing to build the temple as a communication of love and adoration to God. His expression is, who am I that I even have this opportunity? It's a recognition that even being able to do this is an honor that he doesn't deserve. In the books of poetry, in Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 9, literally, He says, to honor God with your wealth. Does what you do with your wealth show honor to God? You say, well, I'm not Bernie Madoff. That's not really the issue. The issue is all the blessings that God's given, how he's allowed us to make our living. Does it in turn turn around and by its very nature, what we do is show that we believe God gave us the gifts and the talents. Major prophets, Isaiah 19, verse 21. God says that he will bring the people up to his mountain to make himself known to them that they might worship him. He literally wants them to come into his presence to understand who he is, that our God is so good, that our God is so awesome, that what it will produce in them is a desire to communicate adoration to us because he's showing his adoration for us. The minor prophets in Malachi, the single period of time in the Bible when there is an absence of the voice of God is because God recognized that what people were bringing to him was a mockery. It didn't honor him. And God is a jealous God. And I'm not sure that I can understand his whole mind, but I do know this. For five centuries, God was silent. That the people bringing blemished offerings, leftover stuff to him, 
cause God to feel some things. Then in Matthew, or in Mark chapter 12 in the New Testament, in the Gospels, in verse 41, said Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money in the temple treasury. Jesus, who now came as the communication from God after five centuries of silence, sits down and he's watching the communication from man. He's watching as they're giving in to the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts. And we've got people that give very significantly and very sacrificial. But Jesus is watching for the communication. But a poor widow came in and put in two very small copper coins worth only a fraction of a penny, calling his disciples to him. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow's put more in the treasure than all the others. They gave out of her wealth, but she out of her poverty put in everything she had to live on. The communication is, God is so great. God is so great. In the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 4, verse 32, there's a great example because it says the people were together and had all things in common, sharing with anyone as they had need. In chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, there's a terrible example where Ananias and Sapphira had plenty to give and committed to give, but then they held back. In the letter to the churches, in 1 Corinthians 16, God literally, through Paul, tells the church to set aside each week something as an expression of communication to God, how we recognize that God's blessed in our lives. In 2 Corinthians chapters 8 through 9, the whole chapters, he's talking to the same church about the fact God wants us to be generous. He wants us to lavish on God our communication of appreciation and affection. In the letter, in the uh, epistles, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17 and 19, he says literally that we should not put our hope in our wealth. I watched a subtle shift in this in the church several years ago. Instead of our confidence being in our relationship with God, we started believing that having the security of a home, that would produce security. And our confidence was everybody wanted to buy houses. How's that worked out for us? Satan is always trying to get us to take off of our security from God and place it on somewhere else. Where do the scriptures talk about giving? Throughout the entire Bible. Why? Because it's an important thing for us to understand. God wants us to be like Him, and God's a giving God. Amen? Number two, who should give? Uh, let's look at who was called to give in the Bible in Deuteronomy 16, 16. It says, three times a year, all your men must appear before the Lord, your God, at the place He will choose. All men. God literally says, I want everybody. Now, who does that include? Everybody. People that are really doing well financially? Yeah. What about people that are struggling? Yeah. God wants everybody. It's not because he's worried about making the mortgage. It's because there's something about giving that helps us. Something about giving that gets us off of ourselves and focusing on others. 
He literally in that same passage says, No man should appear before the Lord empty-handed. It would shock you. How many of us in here, week in and week out, give absolutely nothing? You say, well, I don't have much to give. Give something. You're communicating. Say, well, I'm older. I don't have an income. Give something. Why? God is so good. And He wants all men to give. In Mark chapter 12, verse 41 through 44, it makes it clear that He wants not just the rich, but the rich and the poor to give. Some of us have, through the economic downturn, And the difficulties that we've found ourselves in, we've stopped giving because we feel the hardship of choices that we've made. And our mindset is, well, when we fix it and we're flush, we'll give. And it's been year after year after year and we're not flush yet. Do you wonder why? 1 Corinthians 16, verse 1. Now about the collection for God's people. Do what I told the Galatian churches to do. And by the way, those churches were not in a good economic situation. They were severely struggling. On the first day of the week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his credit debt. No. In keeping with his income. Saving it up. So that when I come, no collections will have to be made. Second Corinthians 8, 2. Out of the most severe trial, they're overflowing joy. And their extreme poverty welled up in rich generation. Why? Because they were communicating to God. It may only be two small copper coins, barely worth a penny. But that woman was communicating to God. You know, I don't have a lot. But what I have, I have because of you. Who should give? Everyone. Every person in this room should be giving every week to God. Every one of us. Why? God is so good. Number three, what are we called to give? Well, I want to start off with this. To begin with, we're called to give something. Literally, when I see the printout, in so many of our small groups, there's a reflection from what the leader does to what everybody else does. See, we influence each other. We affect each other. The number of people that give nothing would shock you. If we could just put it up on the screen, block out the names, you would be shocked. It's almost more people not giving then there are people giving. Three times a year, Deuteronomy 16, 16, it says, all your men need to appear before the Lord. Three times a year. 1 Corinthians 16, 1 says, on the first day of every week. But let's look at some other passages in the Old Testament. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruit of your crops. In the, the language in Hebrews, it literally refers to giving 
the first amount, the first place, the first time, the first in order. So before you give to anything else, before you pay off Citibank, before you pay off credit cards or Verizon, as a first thought, show God. How much you love God. And in verse 10, it says, Then your barns will be filled to the overflowing. It's a conditional clause. So many of us are still in the same financial straits we were in before. Why? Because we haven't done what God said to do. Express to him, communicate to him that you love him because he's a jealous God. He's a loving God. And you want him to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Malachi chapter 3 says, bring in the whole tithe. That there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord. And see if I don't throw open the floodgates of heaven. I've had job after job that doesn't pay and it doesn't pay and it doesn't pay. I just can't give and I don't understand why I can't get a better job. Who do we trust? Do we lean on our own understanding or do we listen to the Father? The example of giving a tithe or 10% comes from the Old Testament. But we really misunderstand what that means. It's not a financial offering. If it were, the verse in Malachi chapter 3 and verse 10 would say, bring your tithe, not bring the whole tithe. The Hebrew word master means literally to set aside a tenth of your possessions. It's, it's to set aside something in a reflection of all that you have. It is honoring God. With our wealth. Although it's not required in the New Testament, there's an even greater guideline in the New Testament. When, when I was growing up as a Christian, I was taught, and I've always taught people, that you give to God, you ought to start it at the baseline, which was what the Old Covenant was, and that's a tithe. But that's not the standard to shoot for. It's the basement to start from. That in reality, we ought to give more and more. You say, but... We are living in the two counties in the country that are some of the most repressed counties in the country. Who was Malachi written to? The book of Malachi was written to a bunch of Jews who were returning from exile. They had nothing. God wants us to remember Him. He wants us to put our faith in Him. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul, in talking about how some of the people that he had been around had given, he said first in verse 5, they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us. God wants us to do what we do because we're doing it for him. Whatever you do in order and deed, Colossians says, do it all in the name of the Lord. You might say that the small amount I give won't make a difference. It's not the amount. It's the gift. 
This was not the most expensive gift that my dad got. But it was a communication. It was a communication that with what I had, this is what I could do. And I wanted him to know it had meaning beyond just the box. Satan is a father of lies. And he tries to tell us that we don't have anything to give. He tries to tell us that, you know, you look at the people around you, they've got more than we do. Well, maybe we should start comparing ourselves with the rest of the world instead of the rest of the wealthy. Maybe we ought to compare ourselves to the first century brothers and sisters who it was written to. We've been so blessed. We're careful about bringing brothers and sisters from the Middle East over here because it tends to mess them up. They come over here and they see the opulence that we live in. They walk into the stores and they're just blown away from my hometown I've got some friends that that are lifelong friends of ours and they're very wealthy but they come out here and go and grocery shopping with us they're just amazed at how many different kinds of peppers we have we've got a delusional perspective on just how much God's blessed us. Fourth, when are we asked to give? 1 Corinthians 16.1 says, very simply, on the first day of the week. And I want to challenge you to make a decision you're going to give every week. Here's one of the other things that comes up pretty consistently, is that people will be out on vacation. I, I appreciate people being gone on vacation. But when they're gone, they, don't, they either forget to give or they don't make it up. And so every time someone's out, you watch, and there's a blank spot. We would never think of saying to AT&T, sorry, that was the month we went on vacation. Get over it. That's just laughable to us. Yet we do that to God and don't even think about it. Second Corinthians 9, verse 1, says, There's no need for me to write to you about this service to the saints, for I know your eagerness to help, and I've been boasting about it to the Macedonians, telling them since last year, you and Achaia were ready to give, and your enthusiasm has stirred most of them to action. We need to make a decision that we're going to support the special offerings that come up because it literally helps produce opportunities for people to become Christian all over the world. But more than that, it inspires other people to give to get out of themselves and to give. And L.A. has been one of the best examples of that overall. Over 80% of Hope Worldwide's budget comes from five churches. Of those five, L.A. is the biggest giver. But we've got to see that what we do and how we do it, people watch that. And then there is just those times when someone comes up and they're in need. When it's not something that's called. So we say, well, I'm getting so-and-so who's in need, so I don't have to give to God? 
Or we try to say, no, giving to one negates the other. That's not how God looks at it. When should we give? Weekly, annually, and as there are needs. I want to stop for a moment and talk about when should we start giving. Because parents, can you imagine raising your child not to get up and give people a hug or say hi to them until they were in college? Can you imagine putting their food down and not wanting them to say thank you until they're an adult? We start teaching them in every other area from the time they're babies. We want them to know mommy loves you, daddy loves you, but we also want to know do you love mommy and do you love daddy? When our children were growing up, they were always expected to give. When Jake was two or three years old, we sat down as a family and had a family devotional and decided that for Christmas we weren't going to be buying each other presents. Instead, we were going to take the money we would have spent on each other and we were going to buy gifts for other people. And so my children grew up thinking that's what Christmas was. Now they still get maybe one gift. I want them. To have a heart that gives. Why? Because that's how God is. But I do want to talk about some things I've seen that I think are foolish. Taking out money from credit card debt to give or, or putting it on a, a loan. I think you've got to be really careful about stuff like that. My opinion is do not give money from a loan. If it's a college loan. Uh, what about from a grant? My advice is if you're willing to cut out something else that you would have done, like maybe you're not going to go to Starbucks and buy lattes, then you could maybe give the money you would have spent on a latte. But don't be irresponsible with it. What about money that your parents give you? I, I would say the same thing. If it's money that someone's given you and it's going to meet your needs, if you're willing to sacrifice something there, that's you sacrificing what they were offering to cover. That's different in my opinion. But these are opinion things. Should you give from what you earn? Absolutely. Everybody in here should give from what you earn. Well, I'm retired. Then give from your retirement. That's a gift too. question is, when should we start? I'm going to give you a very simple recommendation. Today. Right now. Why? Why should we give? God doesn't need our money. Psalms 50, verse 9 says, I have no need of a bull from your stall or goats from your pens. For every animal of the forest is mine. The cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird in the mountains and the creatures of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I wouldn't tell you, for the world is mine. And all that is in it, God doesn't need for us to give to Him. Then why does He ask us to? For our benefit. Deuteronomy 8. He set the stage for this when He said, You have eaten and are satisfied. Praise the Lord for what He's given to you. It's to remind us about God. 
and how good God is. Verse 17 of that passage says, You may say to yourself, My power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. And quite frankly, that's how some of us live. This is mine. And we are so stingy. It scares me sometimes to think of what collectively we could be communicating to God. I think God has blessed us so richly. We need to give back to Him for our own sake. It reminds us of our blessings. It reminds us that we're tempted to turn and trust things in the world that don't last. It reminds us that God has given us the the skills and the ability to be voted the top nerd. Every week, we gather to remind us of how good God has been to us personally. But we also need to give so that other people have the chance to become Christians. How many of you became Christians here in the the L.A. church in the last ten years? Go ahead, hold them up. Look around. Do you know that the L.A. church was a planning that came from San Diego? That all of the money... All of the people came from San Diego, Phoenix, Denver, and multiple churches. The amount that we've been given to through the years, there is no church, maybe in the history of the world, that has had more churches and more people invest in giving to us. We have the most mature staff at our leadership conference recently. Someone said that they were figuring the combined Uh, years of experience on our senior staff, and it was over a thousand years of experience in ministry. All of that came from other churches, other brothers and sisters, taking up special contributions to sacrifice us so that we could have what we have here. And it has produced an influence and an impact on churches all around the world. God has multiplied that giving over and over and over and over again. We need to give so that we can meet the needs of the poor. And I appreciate uh, what we've done at at Seneca Hospital. If you've never had a chance to even look at you ought to go on the website and think about in Phnom Penh, those people receive whatever treatment they need for free. There's an AIDS clinic in Africa that you and I are a part of supporting. The people there with a continent that is so populated with people dying of AIDS, they get help for free. What about Abidjan or Haiti, the disaster relief? It's good for us to pitch in and help. Why? God wants us to be like God, and God is giving. And God hears our prayers. How much should we give? You're going to have to go back and look at some of the Old Testament examples. Deuteronomy 16, verse 7 says, Bring a gift in proportion to your wealth. And Proverbs 3, 9 says, Honor, your, honor the Lord with your wealth. Malachi says, Bring the whole tithe. 
But you sit down and you figure out with a clear conscience before God, recognizing what he's done for you, what you ought to give. Zacchaeus in the New Testament. Luke 19, verse 8, gave 50% of his net worth and four times anything that he had taken from anybody. The poor widow we looked at in Mark chapter 12, she gave 100% of her disposable income. The rich young ruler who came before Jesus and said, what must I do to get into heaven? Jesus' response to him was to give 100% of your assets. Liquidate everything. Give it to God. Why? Because that's what you're trusting in. And he turned and walked away sad. You know, the 10% of the Old Testament doesn't look so bad after all when you start looking at what was expected by Jesus. 2 Corinthians 9, 7 says, Each man should give cheerfully, do it cheerfully, not begrudgingly. This isn't an obligation. It's an opportunity for communication. I want to read to you 2 Corinthians 9, 7 from the Amplified Version. Let each one give as he's made up in his own mind and purpose in his heart. Not reluctantly or sorrowfully or under compulsion, for God loves. He takes pleasure in. He prizes above all other things and is unwilling to abandon or to do without a cheerful, joyous, prompt, do-it giver whose heart is in his giving. Acts 20, verse 35 says very simply, it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. I want to encourage you to go back over these scriptures. Reflect on them. Think about it. And I would encourage you to give today. But as you're meditating and contemplating the communication with God, I want you to think of these four questions. Number one, do I believe that God calls me to give? Does God expect you to give? Number two, what portion of my financial resources do I believe God expects me to give? Number three, considering my income, how much should I give each week? How much should I be giving annually? And number four, do I believe God's promise that he will bring even more blessing into my life if I will stop trusting in the people and things of this world and start trusting in the things of God. I want to close out by reading Matthew chapter 6, verse 33 from the New Living Translation. And he will give you all you need from day to day if you live for him and make the kingdom of God your primary concern. The grace of giving isn't about what God needs. It's about what you and I need to become like God. Let's say a prayer, and then we're going to take up our offering. Father, we just want to come to you, first of all, grateful for your love, for your grace. And, Father, I am ashamed of the times that I don't give to you in a way that's appropriate to express the the love, the adoration that I feel for you. And I pray to God that you would move in my heart, that you would work in me to help me become more like you.
And Father, I pray that what we do and how we do it, what we give and how we give it today, can be done in a way that is pleasing to you. Amen.